Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. We worship together at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings, both in person and online at youtube.com slash area10church. Kid-friendly programming is also available at the same time just down the street at 2810 at Community Gathering Place. We hope to see you at the Bird Theater soon. Now, on to this week's message. I remember how old I was when death became a real thing. It was actually 35 years ago this past week. I was 11 years old, and my mom told me that my grandmother died. I wasn't very close to my grandmother. She lived in England. We lived in Florida. So I only got to see her a few times when we would go over there and visit her in the summer. But I remember thinking, oh, this is, this is weird. This is dark. This is not good. Um, someone that I knew and loved is gone. That same year, my parents got a divorce, and I know they had been fighting, and I know things had not been going well, and that was another death, of a, it was a different kind. It was the death of a, a relationship, um, and, and there was a lot of loss there. It was a very hard year for me in 1987, um, there was, and there was a lot of pain, and I think losing someone to death and losing... Uh, relationship and, and divorce and all that that went on, I, I think I, I could have gone into a very dark place, as a lot of people do, because we all have to deal with and we all carry around a lot of pain. And for a lot of us, we medicate that pain any way possible. Could have gotten into drugs and porn or these days, you know, alcohol, Netflix, um, medicating the pain in any way possible. Maybe, maybe shopping too much, maybe I could have done the very productive thing and medicated my pain with becoming a, an overachiever and trying to win and, and, and kill all my goals and, and all that kind of thing. But for me, the place I took my pain was to church. I ended up getting very involved with a church that a friend invited me to. That was in 1987. In 1988, an elder from the church started coming over to my house once a week and taught me the scripture and he'd teach me about Jesus, and he taught me about God. And uh, sometime in the springtime of 1988, I was baptized into Christ. I gave my life to Christ, baptized into him. And that changed the trajectory of my life for eternity, and it changed what I thought the meaning of death was. It changed what I thought about death. Every single one of us has to reckon with death. It is one of the guarantees of life. I don't know how much money you're gonna make. I don't know how happy you're going to be. I don't know if you're gonna get married. I don't know if you're gonna have children. I don't know if your career will be fulfilling in any way. What I do know about you is that you're gonna die, and, and I'm gonna die. This is, this is the fate that awaits all of us. And knowing that it's a guarantee that we're all going to die, you think we would prepare for it a little more, but we kinda don't. I don't really repair. Um, a, a famous book was written, actually won a Pulitzer Prize. It was written in 1973 by a guy named Ernest Becker, and the book's called The Denial of Death. Strangely enough, he wrote the book, and then he died about six months after it, it had won this award and it had been published. But Becker's main thesis, his main idea, is that we do everything possible in our lives to avoid even thinking about death and, and denying that it's going to happen, even though it definitely is coming for all of us. We do whatever we can to not think about it. And he says that the reason we, we, are, uh, the, the reason we have a problem with death is not the idea of death. We're not afraid of dying, per se. 
We're afraid that if we die, what it means is that we are impermanent and that we are insignificant. Basically, our fear of death is that we don't last and we don't matter. That's our biggest concern about death. And so we will do anything that we can throughout our lives. We will pursue any sort of um, happiness or any sort of anything we can do so that we don't have to feel that nagging sense of, I, this isn't going to last and I don't matter. Now, I know all of that seems very dark. I understand that. Some of you are like, this is Easter. Let's go with pastels, not darkness. Hang on. We'll get there. But to get there, I want to talk about Jesus. Now, if you've walked into a church maybe for the first time today and you go, oh, they're going to talk about Jesus again. Last time I was at church, they talked about Jesus. Yes, it's what we do here. It is our thing. Um, I, I just want you to know that up front, but I, but I think he's worth talking about because he's the most influential person that ever lived, and, and without question, and, and the fact that billions of people are celebrating him today, thousands of years after he lived, is a testament to how influential he truly was. And a lot of you are all in on Jesus. You know him, you've given your life to him, you obey him, you follow him, he's your guy. And, and that's, that's good. So I, I think you're going to track with what I'm saying here. And some of you may not be all in on Jesus. For you, Jesus might be something more like a myth or a legend or maybe he's just like some good teacher that taught a long time ago and he said some things. And you might even say, oh, I like some of the things Jesus said. You know, he taught the golden rule and he taught us to be kind and taught us to love one another and those kind of things. I like that stuff. And so maybe you're, maybe you're in on on that. Um, but here's the deal. If Jesus doesn't talk about death and deal with death, then he's not really a good teacher. Because what good is it to have all these teachings about life without addressing the elephant in the room, which is that we're all going to die? Like, Jesus has to talk about and teach that. And fortunately for us, not only does Jesus talk about death, he models how to die. And I want, I want us to look at that and see what it means for us. First of all, this. Jesus meets death with courage. Jesus meets death with courage. Listen to him talk about death in Mark chapter 10. He's predicting his own death. He's talking to his followers, and listen to what he says. And they were there on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was going, what was to happen to him, saying, see, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man, that's how he referred to himself, the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise." He's talking about himself to his closest followers, and he's telling them exactly what's going to happen. Imagine laying that out so matter-of-factly for your friends to just be like, hey, guys, we're going to go to Jerusalem. Let me tell you what's going to happen when we get up there. We're, uh, they're going to capture me. I'm going to be arrested. They're going to beat me, flog me. Uh, I'm going to bleed out, and they're going to nail me to a cross. I'm going to die. And then three days later, I'm going to come back from the dead. 
Uh, that's, that's basically what he lays out for them. And that's weird, right? Because if, if I said that, if I said, I'm going to, guys, we're going to go to this place and they're going to beat me and flog me and I'm going to get killed on a cross, I think at that point, the next thing you would say is, so let's not go there, right? Like if I was leading this thing, I'd be like, so we're going to turn around because it's not looking good for me up in Jerusalem. But that's not what he says. He's like, no, this is what's going to happen. And then he walks that way towards his own death. You see that later when he gets to Jerusalem in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's this place that he prays. It's an olive grove area just below the temple in a valley in Jerusalem. And he goes to this the night he's going to be betrayed by Judas. And he goes up there, he goes there and he prays. And as he's praying to his heavenly father, he basically says to his father, hey, if there's another way, let's do that because this is going to be hard. And he's it says he's praying these drops of blood and he's sweating and it's just this intense moment of prayer where he realizes he's about to be crucified. He, the, the man Jesus recognizes this is hard and he's about to walk into that. And when he's done praying and Judas is walking towards him with a, with a, with a bunch of guards ready to arrest him, Jesus doesn't run away at that moment. He stands up and he walks right towards him and right towards the people who are going to arrest him because he meets death with courage. It's powerful. But Jesus doesn't just meet death with courage. Jesus also faces death with hope. He faces death with hope. In Mark 10, notice what he says when he tells them he's going to die. He doesn't just say, I'm going to die, he says, and three days later, I will rise from the dead. He gives the prediction of his resurrection, even calling, I mean, even with a timeline, on the third day, I will rise again. He's basically calling his shot. This is exactly what I'm about to do. And, and there's some hope in that, because hope is an extremely useful and, and powerful thing. I think we, we underestimate the value of hope in our lives. Hope can be defined as a feeling of expectation about what will happen or, or, or something that we think is, is coming. Hope is very future-focused. It is this thing on the horizon is going to happen, and we think about it, and we, and we hope for it, and um, it, it's, it's really important. Hope is actually crucial to how we live. They've actually done studies. I know some of you work in medicine. They've done studies in medicine that people... Uh, have much better health outcomes when they're doing surgeries or have diseases or whatever. They have much better health outcomes if they have hope, if they believe their future will be better. Now, it's not like a, a magic lamp or a guarantee, but just across the board, health outcomes are better when we believe and when we have hope of, of the way things are going to go because what we believe, our, our sense of hope, actually affects the body. But hope doesn't just change it, it, hope isn't just about the future. Hope is about today. What we believe about the future affects how we show up today. You've probably seen that in a lot of ways. If, if, you, if you at your job, if you think, man, in three months I'm going to get promoted, that's going to change not three months from now. That changes how you show up at work tomorrow, doesn't it? 
if you think you're going to get promoted, you're like, I'm going to dress nice, I'm going to be, make sure I'm on time, I'm going to do the extra call, I'm going to do all the things I need to do, because what you believe about your future changes the way you live today. If you think, uh, if you're, if you think I'm going to get married, you would, you would a- approach dating a certain way. You would say, okay, you know, this is going to be in my future, it's what I think is going to happen, I'm going to make sure I take care of myself in these ways and show up the best way possible because I want to be married, and th- so that would, that would change that. If you think you're going to retire someday and you imagine your life and you say, my life's going this direction, I'm going to end up this place, I'm going to live here, I'm going to do this, you're going to change the way you spend money, how you save money, what you do with your money today. What you believe about what is coming isn't just about what is coming. It is about what you are doing in this present moment. Jesus has hope that he will rise from the dead, and that changes. When you think you're going to rise from the dead, that changes how you, how you view death. If you think, I'm going to rise from the dead, then death is not the end. Death is not a period at the end of your life. It's more like a comma. You lived, you died, comma, and then something else happened. You lived again. This is what Jesus was believing, and so he walked and lived with, with hope. Now, that doesn't mean death's not painful, and it doesn't mean we're not sad when people die. We cry when our friends are gone. We, we cry when they die. Jesus cried when his friend died. But death doesn't have to be scary. Um, he, Jesus approaches it with courage. He walks towards it because he has hope. Now, you might say, who cares? Like Jesus was hopeful, Jesus had courage, Jesus faced death. Who cares? That's a guy who lived thousands of years ago. That was his story. What difference does that make now? But I think it's not just his story. I don't think that resurrection is just for him. And it's not just him that comes back from the dead. What the scripture teaches is that I get to come back from the dead too, and so do you. The Apostle Paul writes it this way. Listen to him in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He says this. He's trying to talk to the church, and he says, but we, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Okay, asleep, he'll talk about sleeping here a little bit. It's, it's sort of a euphemism. It means for being dead. And he says, we don't want you to grieve like those who have no hope. That doesn't mean you don't grieve when someone dies. You will grieve, but there's just going to be something different about it. So if you grieve with no hope, what would that sound like? Well, I guess it's weeping and wailing, right? It's, it's the agony. And, and again, it's okay to cry when people die. But there's a rage that comes with it when we have no hope. The Irish poet Dylan Thomas uh, famously wrote this poem. I just want to read you the beginning of it. He says, he's talking about death, and he says, Do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at close of day. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. If you've seen the movie Interstellar, that poem kind of figures prominently in that movie. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. That's what it sounds like to die with no hope. You rage because this is all you had. This was your one shot, and it's over, and it's awful, and it's it's it and and it's disappointing, and you can get very bitter if you have no hope. And Paul says we don't have to grieve like that. We don't have to grieve like people who have no hope because of what Jesus has done. 
Listen to what he says. Next verses. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. All right. You can easily get hung up on the, the timing of all that, well, okay, wait, and who's dead and who's alive here and whatever. The, the, the big picture, the big point is, um, Paul is, is teaching us that because of what Jesus did, because he died and came back from the dead, what we understand and what we believe is that this is going to happen to us too. Because Jesus came back from the dead, we can have hope too. So I guess I could say it this way. Because of the resurrection, we can meet death with courage and with hope. Because of the resurrection, we can meet death with courage and in hope. Why is that true? Because the resurrection answers Ernest Becker's denial of death, his two great fears that he says all of us has. You see, when Jesus dies, he takes our sins on the cross. He dies for us, for every way that we've blown it and everything that we've ever done wrong. And that means a lot of things, but here's one of the things that that means. It means that we matter. It means that God loved us so much that he gave his son for us, that we are significant in the world. If, if we're afraid of dying because we're afraid it means we're insignificant, at the cross we discover that we are significant, that God sees us and he loves us anyway. We are significant not because we were a good kid, we're not significant because we went to a good college, we're not significant because we had a good career, we're not significant because we, we found a nice spouse or because we live in a good t part of town or we're not significant because we raise good children. Those are all fine things, but there's a difference between success and significance. We're significant because our creator knows us and loves us and he sees us at our worst and he loves us anyway. We are significant. And that is a, a, a powerful thing. We, we recognize that Jesus died for us. This is the ultimate form of love. How, how else, how more could you show love to someone than to die for them? And this is what God has done for us. He lets us know that, that we're significant, that we matter. I, I think the question, do I matter, is like this great unspoken question that we all carry with us throughout life. Do I matter? Does it matter that I was ever here? Do I matter to anyone? It's the question a daughter asks her dad when she's 10 years old and she wears an outfit and she looks at her dad and she says, am I pretty? Yeah, the question's am I pretty, but the question really is, do I matter? It's the question, uh, a, a lot, I see this in, in men a ton, a, a question that young men ask when they enter the workforce. They're trying to establish themselves and, and, it's, and it becomes so much this issue of do I matter? Am I doing the thing right? Am I winning here? Am I successful? Am I significant? Does, is anything I'm doing make a difference? It is the nagging question of our lives and we will do anything we can do to prove that we matter. We'll pursue careers and spouse and kids and all of these things and the truth is when Jesus dies for us, it proves to us that we matter, regardless of all the other things 
that we've done. So his death proves to us that we matter, and his resurrection proves to us that we will last, that, that life does not end just with death, that there's more, that we have a future there's more to come that we, are, that we will live eternally. When you die, you live again. This is a big deal. It's a big deal because when you lose a loved one, you will have hope that you will be able to see them again. This is what we see at the resurrection is that Jesus came back from the dead and we will also. And those we have loved who have gone on before us, we will be able to see them again as well. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you this and I'm asking you to believe it. And I'm asking you to believe it on faith. There's nothing I've just said to you that I could prove to you in a scientific method, concrete way. And that Jesus came back from the dead. I can't prove that to you. It, it, in fact, it's hard to prove anything that happened in history because it was a long time ago and all the people who were there aren't there anymore and that kind of thing. So it's very difficult to prove anything in history. But you can see the effects of the resurrection the early citizens of the Roman Empire who became Christians, they just lived differently than their neighbors. The early Roman citizens who became Christians started to elevate the role of women around them in a way that the Roman culture did not. And, and it was said that becoming a Christian for a woman in the Roman Empire would increase her life expectancy just because she would be so much better cared for. The early Christians took care of the sick the sick, their sick Roman neighbors who, when the plagues would hit, the, a lot of people would flee to the hills to get away from all the sick people, and the Christians would come by and start taking care of people and trying to nursing them back to health. It, it changed the way the early Roman Christians would handle childbirth. It, it was a common practice in the Roman Empire that if you didn't want a child, they'd give birth, and then you'd leave the child on a trash heap, and the, and the, the early Christians would come by and take those children and raise them as their own. It was a it was a complete uh, game changer in, in the world. Uh, the early Christians would sell their possessions and sell land and they would pool their money together and they would give it to people who had need and they, were, they would help people. The early Christians would fast and, and they would not eat meals. Um, in, in the Roman Empire, in Rome, that, that, that around the year 200 or so, there's some record that Christians would skip about a million meals. Like thousands of Christians would skip meals throughout the year and they would take the money they would have spent on a meal and they would give it to a needy person, to someone who was nearby who, who needed that. It was powerful. They were fasting and denying themselves food so that they could help other people. Um, what I just told you, all those things, those are facts. This is just the history of it. And, and Christianity grows through those things and God's spirit at work. Christianity grows from a handful of followers at Jesus' resurrection to 30 million people over about 300 years. And it didn't grow because people loved what Jesus taught. It wasn't like, man, I, I found this teacher and he says better things. Because they had Socrates, they had Plato, they had all these things, right? They had teachers, they had wisdom. It wasn't, oh, the golden rule is so amazing, I'm gonna change my life because of the golden rule. It changed, everything changed for these early believers because of the resurrection. Because they go, oh, you know how death is dark? and empty, and there's nothing beyond it, now I see that there is something. Now I, now I know that we last. Now I know that I matter. This is powerful. The resurrection has changed history. So what do we do with that? 
Again, we're not in the Roman Empire. We didn't live thousands of years ago. Today, when you leave here, what would you do with this information? Okay, this guy died, came back from the dead. Apparently, I can die and come back from the dead. Cool, I guess. Uh, but, but what do I do with that? 1 Thessalonians 4.18, again, he, Paul tells them, therefore, encourage one another with these words. I guess I would say it this way. Because of the resurrection, we must share this good news. Because God has brought us out of the darkness and into the light, because, he, because the scripture refers to Jesus as a lion who has conquered death, because that is true, because that is the way things actually are in the real world, that death has been defeated and we no longer have to be afraid of it. Um, because of that, we need to share that with people. We need to let people know. We need to, to, to gather together and celebrate this. This is actually why we come together as a church. Like, we'll be, we'll be here next Sunday. And we're not gonna talk about the resurrection again. We're gonna talk about the implications. We're, gonna, we're, we're actually starting a new series called This is the Way. And I'm gonna do my best to not make every Mandalorian reference that I can. But we're gonna start a new series called This is the Way, and we're just gonna look at this Jesus guy, and we're gonna follow him around as he walked around the Sea of Galilee for several months, and we're just gonna talk about what he taught, why, and what difference does it make to us now because, because of the resurrection. Because without the resurrection, it, it's not even worth getting together to talk about it next week. It's like, okay, one more teacher. There's plenty of teachers out there. But this is powerful stuff. And, and we, wanna, we wanna have it in us, and, and we wanna have his spirit alive in us, and, and we want to grow. And so we're gonna start uh, into that n next week we're trying to pour hope and courage into each other when we get together. Now these beliefs, all this stuff I've told you about this morning, these things aren't just philosophical, right? It's not just, oh, that's interesting. These are practical. What you believe about this stuff really matters. I was at a funeral two weeks ago. The resurrection matters in that moment. When you, when you, when you were there and you're, you're thinking about where this went for this person who died and where our life is going. This stuff matters. We need hope. Hope matters when a virus comes and people get sick and die. Hope matters when you're dating and you go, do I need to find this person? What happens if I don't? What happens if I'm not married? Is this the end or is there something else happening in the world? Hope matters when we feel disappointed because if this life is all there is, then I, it's really important that I get everything I need out of this life because it's all I've got. But if this life ends with a, a comma, not a period, then there's more, and that is uh, a powerful thing. If there's no resurrection, then by all means, grow bitter. <laughs> Why not? Because it's, everything's not working out exactly the way we wanted. But if there is a resurrection, it means it doesn't have to work out everything, it doesn't have to work out the way you want. Um, there's hope, there's, there's a future. This stuff matters. It matters to me personally because from 1987 until now, I've been to a lot of funerals, probably more than average because of what I do for a living. And, it, and, and this stuff about the resurrection and the hope, this stuff matters. It matters a lot in the last couple years. There's so much pain that people have gone through in the last few years. Um, 
I, I, have, I have been to funerals of people who died from things related to COVID. Um, I've, I've been to a funeral, I went to a funeral of, of a, a young man who committed suicide over the last two years who used to be part of the youth group at this church. And um, it, it makes me realize the stakes of, of what we're about here. This stuff matters. So let me challenge two groups. First of all, for those of you who have um, not accepted Christ or maybe you've accepted Christ and, and you have not yet been baptized, um, this is America, right? So it's for us to say, are you a Christian? You know, for a lot of people, they would check that on a box on a survey somewhere. Go, oh, of course I'm a Christian. It's almost like saying I'm American. Like, yeah, we grew up in that or whatever. Um, but I think there's something different there. There's, there's, real, um, there's real faith to be had. And so my challenge to you would be to get baptized if you have not given your life to Christ. The promises that I've talked about, the hope that's there is for people who have given their lives to Christ. They've said, Jesus is, Jesus is Lord and I'm not. And I want to follow him and I want to get baptized. And you get immersed in water and... Uh, that, that changes some things. Your sins are wiped away and God's spirit comes to live inside of you and you, your trajectory changes. You are on that road to eternity. We are actually going to baptize people after this service. We have property here a block away uh, at 2810 and we're gonna have a baptism celebration in there. We'll, we'll baptize there. And if you wanna get baptized today, when we're done here, you can come forward and um, one of our, one of our uh, elders will meet you here when the service ends and can talk to you about baptism and, and we can baptize you today. We have clothes you can change into in case you don't wanna wear that into the baptistry. That's fine, we can, we can help you with that too. So be baptized would be, would be one takeaway. If you've not given your life to Christ, this is the day, don't wait. What are you waiting for? This is the day. Sec second thing, I wanna talk to Christians. Um, Christians, we need to share this hope. We need to speak up about what God has done because this is the most important thing in the world. One funeral that I was a part of back in uh, January was a guy who's been part of our church since the beginning of this church, a guy named Gordy Gahagan. He used to sit right back over there on Sundays, right on the aisle, uh, sat by himself, but he had been coming to this church almost from the very beginning. Uh, not a real talkative guy, didn't connect with a whole lot of people. He was part of some small groups, did some things. But he got sick. Um, he, got, he actually got COVID uh, in November because he was helping one of his neighbors who um, couldn't need, was elderly and needed help moving some things. He went over to help them move, move some things, and then he got sick from them, and then, and then he went, ended up going to the hospital. And uh, right before Christmas, they put him on a ventilator, and right before uh, New Year's Eve, he, he died. Um, Gordy Gahagan, uh, you know, he had his doubts about faith. He, he tried to follow Jesus. Um, he tried to honor God. But he had his doubts. He had his struggles like we all do. But one of the last things he did was he talked to his friend Chuck. And while he was in the hospital, he couldn't talk. I tried to connect with him. We just had to text back and forth. He was in the hospital. He couldn't talk, but he could write. And he wrote Chuck a letter. Chuck was not a follower of Jesus at all. And Gordy wanted him to know that. And so he wrote a whole letter to Chuck telling Chuck, like, you need to follow Jesus. And here's why. 
I want to read to you, um, I have the letter, and I want to read to you just a piece of, of what Gordy wrote. He says, I have my doubts, as a lot of Christians will tell you. They have doubts too. So it all boils down to faith and trust, which is always easier said than done, because I live with that daily. I doubt, and I ask God to help my unbelief. This is the best I can do for you, Chuck. As a Christian, trying to bring another person to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Read the Gospel of John, and I pray and hope this helps you decide whether to believe or not believe. Because Chuck, I'm telling you, it is real, and I would like to see you in heaven one day because you took it by faith that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. God bless you, Chuck. At this juncture, I'm not sure whether I'll be able to speak to you again or not. So I wanted to make sure you got this in case God decided to take me home. Gordy. He had his doubts. But I think it's profound that one of the last things he wrote was pleading to his friends to know God and to follow him. And I want to make that same plea to you. I want you to have that hope that Gordy had. So maybe today's your day, get baptized. We can talk to you about that after the service because death has been defeated. This is the excitement, this is the good news of the resurrection. It no longer has power over us. So I've asked the band to lead us in a song. We're gonna, we're gonna sing together and then we just have a couple of things to tell you before we go. Um, and this song says, death could not hold you. It says that, that Jesus silenced the power the boast, silence the boast of sin and grave. And that is a, a powerful thing that we celebrate on Easter. So let's, let's stand together and, and, sing these, and sing these words. You were the word at the beginning. One with God, the Lord most high. Your hidden glory in creation now revealed in you, our Christ. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. to this what a beautiful name it is the name of Jesus you didn't want heaven without us so Jesus you great your love was greater what can separate us now what a wonderful name it is what a wonderful